Welcome to At The Whiteboard. I'm Nicole North and I'm your host. This season on At The Whiteboard, we're focusing on everything leadership, learning, and development. We have a ton of great guests ready to share their knowledge. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Welcome to today's episode of At The Whiteboard, your one-stop shop for everything learning and development. I'm Simone Tai, and I'll be your host. Don't worry, Nicole North, Whiteboard Consulting Group President, is still here. In fact, she's my guest, because I'm doing a podcast takeover today. First, a little bit about me. I'm a certified HR professional, registered in Ontario with the HRPA and I'm transitioning into the learning and development space. Today, I'm going to interview Nicole, and I'm excited to do so as a way to understand how learning and development consultancies work. So my first question, Nicole, how did Whiteboard Consulting Group come about? Let's get the origin story. (laughs) Okay, that's a good story. So I worked in the provincial government for Ontario for about 10 years. And uh, in the last part of my career, I was working at Service Ontario, which is where we do all our driver's licenses and our health cards, you know, kind of an analog to the US DMV. Mm -hmm. And it was the very first time that I had gone into an organization and seen an amazing work culture. They had an onboarding program when I came in. I had a buddy. I got a USB key. I mean, I'm going to date myself here, but I got a (laughs) USB key um, with the files that I should start reading. And they were carefully curated so that it wasn't just like, here's a, you know, here's a link to our shared drive. Just look at it. It had a, it had an order and a sequence and there was method to it. And there was a document that said, you know, here's what's on your USB key and here's why we want you to read it and understand it and what you should get out of it. Um, And it was just such a wonderful onboarding experience, you know, in my previous, you know, however many jobs prior to that, I had never, ever experienced true onboarding, true uh, leadership in that regard and and a culture. You know, I often tell the story that when I got there, I was working late one day a little bit, you know, it was after six or something and someone was just getting ready to go through the doors and and go down the elevator. And they said, Nicole, what are you working on? Is there anything I can help you with so that we can, you know, finish it up and you can also get to go home. And I thought, what, what (gasps) kind of crazy culture is this? This is not normal. Um, And I was blown away. And it's because we had a spectacular, spectacular leader. And that leader ended up being uh, my business partner and who started whiteboard with me, you know, now almost 10 years ago, nine years ago. Um, And so we had an amazing time for the last nine years. And of course, as the pandemic kind of shifted, um, our work shifted over those nine years, we must have had four different websites as we really kind of 
um, got in the groove of what we were doing and what we were good at. You know, we started as a pure consulting firm. Uh, then we developed, you know, we realized there was a need for training to support that process improvement. And, you know, and, and, you know, all those changes. And then, of course, the pandemic caused another big change. And my business partner decided to retire. So now it's just me. And again, with as as every year with Whiteboard, um, we, you know, we've made a, a subtle, I've made a subtle shift in what we're doing. And now we're exclusively focused on learning and development and facilitation and leadership. So that's super exciting for me. So that's kind of the history of Whiteboard. Um, but I, I do have to give, you know, a lot of credit to my former business partner, Ruth, who kind of pulled me out of my office one day and said, I'm leaving. And I said, well, I'm going wherever you're going, because you create a culture like one that I've never seen before. And um, you know, she said, well, I'm starting my own, you know, consulting firm. And I said, you know, she said, do you want to join me? And I said, I'm in. So, wow. you know, that has been a theme of whiteboard consulting is how can we uh, replicate that culture that I experienced, you know, in that job, arriving, feeling prepared, feeling cared for um, a really, truly developed team environment, a high performing team. And so it's always been my goal throughout any L&D work and leadership work and training and facilitation work that I do to try and emulate that culture. So uh, even though Ruth's not here, she she's definitely a big part of where Whiteboard has been and, and where it's about to go. Wow, I love that story. I got goosebumps because Nicole, I think that it's everybody's dream. They might not know it, but it's everybody's dream. Seriously, yeah. that was fabulous. <laughs> so, hey, now, you talked a lot about the fact that you are now more in the training space. So tell me a little bit about what kind of uh, services in the training space you are now offering. And do you serve any one particular industry or firm size or geographical location? Tell me a little bit about that. Okay, so let's see. So, you know, I, there's always this push and pull between, you know, we can do everything for everyone um, and then this idea of really creating a niche for your business. And, uh, you know, I have to admit that my entire career or a huge part of it, um, aside from being an entrepreneur, was in the public sector. So I certainly would say that I have uh, the best uh, the best possible client for, for me is typically someone in the not-for-profit sector uh, government or arm's length from government, municipal, provincial, things like that. That's really been um, our our sweet spot. Um, but also focusing on some small to medium sized businesses in the private sector. Um, we've also done some some great work with um, large corporate organizations, and you know, in a partnership with Humber College, we have the uh, great privilege to work with a lot of really great huge corporate clients. Um, so. I would say my sweet spot is government, um, municipal or, or provincial and not for profit. You know, by far, that's our biggest one. And, you know, geographical, geographical, I would say, you know, we're really focused on um, or we had been in the last nine years focused on 
um, Ontario, of course. Uh, but now with the pandemic, with a new way of training, with online training really becoming more of the norm, uh, more of the, uh, the rule and not the exception, uh, I think that, uh, that that geographical boundary can definitely shift and change. I'm certainly open, open and excited to see what those possibilities bring. Let's see, did I answer all of your questions? Yeah, you did actually. No, that sounds, I mean, amazing. Obviously, it does make sense for you to have a sweet spot in an area that you came from. But as you said, you've been able to help so many different um, types of organizations, small, medium, private, large, and even post-secondary. So sounds to me like you've got everybody covered. So I'm pretty sure that um, you um, won't have any problems branching out. And especially now, as you said, with the pandemic, yeah, the opportunities that the pandemic has created um, is really exciting. Very much so. And, you know, I, I say we because over the years and especially in this last year, I've developed a really strong network of facilitators and associates that fall under the whiteboard umbrella. So when I say we, um, although part of it is a little bit of residual of having a business partner for the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so, but uh, more so, I mean, we as in the whiteboard team, and that's you know, a really huge focus for me in 2021 is building an associate team with a diverse set of strengths because I feel that, um, yes, leadership training is, is very consistent, the components, the competencies, but what really makes Whiteboard stand out when we do something is that we bring in a team of absolute experts, a powerhouse team that has experts in the training content in the industry uh, in all of those things and really we come together and put together an amazing team effort and that's what I'm really excited for the future of whiteboard because for me the future of whiteboard is this uh, network of whiteboard associates that are just a powerhouse team and can really deliver what clients are looking for in the absolute best way possible because I might be an amazing facilitator but I don't have the expert knowledge in, let's say, emotional intelligence that a client's looking for. Or I might not have the direct experience in a particular industry. But with our team of associates, we've got such an amazing breadth of knowledge. I know that we can tackle really big and amazing things. So that's what I'm most excited for right now. Yeah, you know, Nicole, that is a very smart strategy. The power of we Make sure that you are tapping into everybody's strengths. That's really wonderful. Your clients will really get the best of everybody, as you're saying. Oh, gosh, that's so exciting. So <laughs> um, now you did just talk a little bit about how the pandemic has kind of shifted some of your work into the online space, as it has for many. Um, does Has it changed how you work with your clients, even though you're in the online space or you know, has it really changed the way you work with your clients? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Fundamentally, you know, we were, you know, driving to clients, meeting with them, um, training them in person. It was a, a night and day switch. You know, we'd certainly dabbled in a little bit of online learning in advance of the pandemic. Uh, we were using a, a format called Teachable. So, uh, and I guess that was, late 2019, early 2020, 
we launched a few online courses in uh, managing your email inbox and on bullet journaling, which is one of my uh, most favorite organizational techniques. And, uh, but they were just that kind of static, static e-learning with videos and, and quizzes and all kinds of different interactive components that went with it. So I was very pleased that we had jumped into that as a start mm-hmm. because it made the transition to full-on virtual in-person or you know virtual instructor-led training, VILT, which is kind of the, the norm for right now. And so in the early parts of the pandemic, I would say virtual instructor-led training was the was king. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone basically converted their existing in-person materials, transferred it over, shortened it up, tightened it up, pulled some stuff out into pre-work, threw some stuff out into post-work, um, and then delivered a, you know, very content-heavy three-hour session. And we used breakout rooms and polls and annotating slides. And it was all very exciting um, for a while there. And you saw the engagement really, really high People had their cameras on. People were loving the breakout rooms. It was really, really successful. Um, As time has gone on and we've continued to facilitate through the year, you know, I've noticed a little bit of a change. I've noticed a a change in the way that the participants are reacting to that Mm -hmm. um, virtual instructor-led style. They, you know, can still be very engaged, but we're seeing a lot less cameras on. A lot more people focusing their entire session off camera, Um, people participating in the chats, people participating in the breakout rooms, especially, but they are really enjoying that small group experience, not the large group video experience. So that is something I've really noticed over the last um, few months that, that something is something is changing. And I'm also seeing less of an appetite or demand for this three hour or half day or full day virtual instructor led sessions, we're really starting to see some demand for, um, you know, there's always been a huge demand for blended learning, but now it's what's different, what's new, how can we get people to want to take training and not dread training? Because people used to love going to virtual training, uh, <laughs> sorry, to in-person training, right? Yeah. You got free sandwiches, uh-huh. there was coffee, you got to socialize, you got a day out of the office, it was a different set of scenery. Well, now none of that exists. It's still your same old coffee that you serve at your house. <laughs> Good or bad. I love my Nespresso. So I will never, you know, (laughs) I I enjoy my coffee every day. Um, But you know, you don't get the the socialization, you don't get the sandwiches. Um, And that, you know, that that's really changed things. So what are we doing to enhance the sense of community and training? What are we doing to get people to want to go to recognize that it's more than just consuming content? Exactly, exactly. That is key. So much has been talking talked about Zoom fatigue. And yeah, you know, people being stuck at home, they're either at their computers or sleeping, I suppose. <laughs> Anyhow, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good time for it's it's definitely something and, and Zoom fatigue, you know, I've actually taken a, a, a couple week break from video calls and I've converted all my calls back to telephone. And I have to tell you, Simone, I am 
infinitely more well. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. My eyes don't hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My, I take better notes. I retain the information of the conversation better. I feel like I listen better. I feel like I, I, I can speak more confidently. I've noticed a dramatic change. And so I, I really want to, you know, something I really want to focus on in leadership training and, and, and communications training as we move into, uh, you know, the next part of 2021 is how can we, how can we manage this Zoom fatigue? It's not just a, you know, it's not a, a Harvard Business Review uh, subject that, you know, Zoom, it's real. It's real. Yeah, it's exhausting. Yes, exactly. It's exactly. exhausting. And I think if we just gave people permission, if we just led and, and allowed people to um, experience calls in the way that they do best um, and mix it up and create variety, I think it would help us all manage the monotony of the pandemic much better. Oh, my goodness. I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I, I love that you're using the telephone. That's so old school. But guess what? <laughs> it's absolutely something that I think, um, like you said, the variety is there because remember, a lot of people haven't used the phone for so many years at work. It's going to be novel. But more importantly, like you said, you're building your listening skills. And you know what, guess what, I got to think that listening skills is is probably the top of the list when it comes to communication skills that we need to sharpen. Especially right now. Yeah. Especially right now, because when you're on video, you're distracted, you're looking at yourself, you're looking at the other person, you're focusing on everything that they're doing and their facial expressions and their Mm -hmm. body movements. Or gosh, if they've got one of those um, uh, branded backgrounds, (laughs) that that puts me into a tailspin because I cannot stop looking at the, (laughs) the blur lines and like what, you know, what's behind that background? Where are you? Exactly. Um, and I just, you know, it's, it's so distracting. And imagine your brain is processing all of that information. And that, I mean, I guess there's an argument that, you know, when we were in in-person meetings, that was happening. But I think our our innate and, you know, what's the word kind of, yeah, our innate disposition understands how to operate in person. I think this has been an experience that says video is not just a natural um you know, result of, oh, we're not in person. So video will just replace that. And, and it'll be completely an analog, right. uh, you know, it's a perfect analog to being in person. It's not it's an entirely right. new skill set. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, one thing I read or heard was that um, because video is so much closer than if we were in person in a meeting, you know, we get, like you said, you get look, you get caught up with all the different things that you can see in the screen that when you're in person, you're not necessarily going to be as distracted by which you, it doesn't sound intuitive, but you know, it is, Absolutely. it's what happens. Yeah. Well, so in terms of like the kinds of things that clients are asking to um, be trained, to give, to offer for training right now, do you see any one area coming up to the top? For collaboration, collaboration and mm-hmm. relationship building. Wow. In a digital world. Yeah. And, and how is that different than in, you know, the um, regular world, say? 
relationship. If you, I know it's a big topic, so listen, don't give me, you know, <laughs> I mean, I opened a can of worms. I'm sorry. It is. That's okay. I love it. It's a great can of worms to open. Um, it, there are similarities. The content is the same, but the mechanisms by which you uh, build up to collaboration and partnerships, right? That there's a, a scale there that starts with your ability to be aware of your surroundings and what other people are doing, your ability to uh, network, your ability to cooperate and then collaborate and then develop a partnership. So that's all kind of on a, a spectrum of, of uh, increasing advanced knowledge and collaboration. Mm -hmm. But some of those building blocks to creating rela great relationships and collaboration and partnerships are how you how you interact with people, how you build trust, how you build rapport. And those are the components that are fundamentally different now on video, right? We were able yeah. to build rapport in a million different ways. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with so-and-so, I'm going to build rapport by taking them out for a glass of wine because we both enjoy wine. We're going to have sameness. We're going to talk about the wine. We're going to have a great meal and we're going to network and collaborate and, and create this relationship. Well, right. that relationship isn't as easy to build now because mm -hmm. you don't have any of these external factors to guide your guide your conversation to create sameness, right? You know, even right. when we have conversations now with people, hey, how was your weekend? Good, good. How was yours? Same as last weekend. We're still in lockdown. There's right. nowhere to go. There's no one to see. I'm tired of my kids. You know, like, oh. it's the same story. And so some of the new techniques, we need to go back to the basics and mm -hmm. say, okay, how did we build relationships in person? What did that look like, sound like, and feel like? And now how do you create, how do you imitate, how do you replicate that? How do you augment it to be effective by video? Yeah. So it's changing the type of questions you ask, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of, how was your weekend? Exactly. What did, what did you do to rejuvenate this weekend? You right. know, instead of what did you, you know, where did you go out for dinner? Or what did you do for social fun? Um, you know, what fun recipe did you try that you would recommend to me? I'm, I'm tapped out of recipes, Ugh. right? So yep. the questions, so to me, you know, these skills are the same. They were just easy to do in person because we had other stimulus. Let's go for a coffee. Let's go for a drink. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's meet at a coffee shop. There was, there was other activities to release the pressure. But now right. you have this like highly smack in the face, intimate conversation with someone you've never met, you know, and, and how do you ask? Like, it's just like, Ooh, I, I really like your zoom background. <laughs> Right, you're trying to create sameness. I, I like your shirt today. You can't even see their whole outfit. Are they even wearing <laughs> pants? We don't know. We don't know. Oh my um, gosh. So I, I think it's it's fundamentally digging back into the roots yeah. of how to build trust, how to build relationships, and and the concepts are all the same. I think people just need to learn how to adapt right. to the video world or the telephone world, and that right. means active listening. It means open-ended questions. It means building trust and rapport in just slightly different ways. And that just being aware of the differences helps yeah. you to, to make that transition. Oh gosh. You know what? I, I just love that because what I'm hearing is this 
real intentionality now, like when we, when we talk and, you know, think before you talk and, and really awareness that even in the real world, I don't think we were, if you, if you've never been taught, we probably haven't utilized. That's, that's really fabulous. Good I love that idea. I love that idea of intentionality. That, that's amazing because that's exactly what it is. What came naturally to us in person, because as human beings, we've been interacting in person for mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of years. This is, you know, it, it's just being intentional about those skills and having to, you just have to try a little harder. Yeah. You have to practice or you have to exactly. think about it in advance. Exactly. Use the old noggin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just takes more effort. And that's why we're all tired. That's why we're all burnt out, right? Right. Because everyday interactions are, um, I was going to say, you know, again, it, it's so intimate. Like all of a sudden you're yeah. in someone's living room together. Right. And it's exactly. weird. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, exactly. That intimacy, it's just, you're right in somebody's face and you'd never be, you'd never be that close to them in person. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah, that's why it's not just stick them on, you know, stick them in front of their computer, tell them to work at home. There are certainly real skills that need to be learned to be able to work remotely or even as we go forward, hybridly. So oh, hybrid is going to be a whole other ballgame. <laughs> so, you know, all the preparations we're doing now, mm-hmm. organizations need to prepare for what hybrid looks like, because then there's going to be a group of people that are back in person mm-hmm. and they're going to just slip back into their old in-person habits and it's going to be easy and it's going to be great. Yep. And then there's going to be a component of people who are still at home. Right. And how do we, how do we intersect those two styles? As we've just said, they're very, very different. And now they're going to be playing together at the same time, which means you're going to have to, you know, it's like running a huge, uh, uh, I'm thinking of a big kind of nuclear power center, right? The switches <laughs> yeah. are going on and off. Things are flashing. It's going to be a constant state of change. It's, it's complex. It's it complex. Is. It is. And if anybody thinks that they can just keep acting the way they've been acting during the pandemic, well, they're going to have to realize pretty quickly that this, this new normal that we're in is not going to be that new normal coming up for sure. <laughs> There's a new, new normal coming. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know what? I want to go back a little to your, your work in the past. So you, you said you worked in the, the private sector mostly and did some work. Public, in the public sector. sector. Public, Sorry. No, no, I worked yeah. mostly in the private sector. Public, right. public sector. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But now you're an entrepreneur. And how does it differ for you to be, you know, running your own business? And how does that affect like your experience with, you know, your clients and the results they get? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I think I had a really solid background, uh, you know, in my career in the public sector, I, I used to always tell this story of how, how I, you know, where I ended before I became a entrepreneur. And, you know, basically it started with one summer, my best friend um, said, this summer we're getting office jobs. And it was, you know, we were in university. She goes, you know, we'd previously, you know, I'd done Starbucks, I'd worked at the Gap, I'd, you know, run the whole gamut there. Uh Um, And she said, this summer we're getting office jobs. We're going to dress up. (laughs) We're going to be nice, cushy jobs. You're not going to smell like coffee. You're not going to be folding khakis. 
we are, we are professional ladies. And I was like, okay. Um, and she said, okay, we're going to a temp agency. We're going to do a typing test and a, it was like some kind of admin skills test. We had to do a mail merge of some sort, which again, sounds ancient. I must Mm -hmm. be a hundred thousand years old. Um, (laughs) and you had to learn how to do that. So I took the test, whatever. She got a job with the federal government and I got a job with the provincial government and I was filling in for someone who was either on sick leave or maternity leave. I can't recall. Um, I was there for a week or two. They liked me. They really liked how well I could ship out the purulator. Um, So (laughs) they kind of, they bounced me around to all the different regional offices because they liked the work that I had done. Um, I learned my first lesson in, in working for the public sector. So we were archiving files. One of my first jobs was with the Ontario Rental Housing Tribunal. So what is now the Landlord and Tenant Board. Um, And uh, we were archiving these boxes. And so I was working with this other fellow and he's writing on the boxes. You had to write, you know, the files were from, you know, Toronto East tenant file number 1,237 to Toronto East tenant 1,567, whatever. So you had to write that on the box. And he was writing it in block letters and then coloring it in. It was taking him like 15 minutes to write (laughs) that on the box. And I said, gosh, isn't that taking a long time? And he said, well, do you want to have this temp job all summer or not? Oh, and I was like, oh, that was my first lesson in uh-huh. public sector, yeah. public sector operations. Um, okay. But I slowly kind of moved my way through the organization. Um, you know, I finally landed somewhere doing some financial admin. As I went back to university during the school year, my boss had offered me a role um, doing it three days a week. So I was in second year university and I basically had a three day a week office job. I, all my other friends in university were partying every night, but you know, mm. I had to be up in a pencil skirt and uh, Ooh. pencil skirt and heels by, uh, you know, 8am. So it was a, a really interesting part of my life, but I loved it. I loved it. And I consistently had had ambition to be a leader. It was mm-hmm. always I was always eyeing my manager and being like, that's the job I want. That is the job that I think I would enjoy so much being able to influence others and see how things went and define a strategy. Um, And so I kind of, you know, consistently rose through the ranks just slowly over time. And eventually, once I had reached a certain point, I think after I'd gotten my MBA, um, something always happened where my immediate supervisor left. And I remember the very first time that happened, um, my immediate manager left and I, I went into the boss's office, the, her boss's office, and I said, let me do this. Let me fill in for this job. And he was like, oh, Nicole, I don't know. You don't really have the experience. And I said, just give me, give me a few weeks. Try me out. I, I promise you that I can do this and I will do a great job for you. And he was like, okay, Nicole, I'll do it for a few weeks while we find someone more qualified. And, you know, a few weeks turned into a month and then two months and then three months and then four months. And, you know, and then I landed in that job. And similarly, when I went to Service Ontario, I was there for a few months when my immediate 
uh, boss uh, got a secondment, went to another area, and I, you know I was able to jump into that role. So that's kind of been persistently my my career path, and so that career path has always been very effective for me as a facilitator because I understand uh, the impacts of work that you do as an individual contributor. I understand what it's like to lead others. I understand what it's like to lead small teams, large teams. I understand what it's like to lead um, teams of um, administrative staff and then also lead teams of highly expert project manager staff. So in, you know, in my career in the government, I just really had this amazing exposure to so many things of terrible culture and amazing culture. <laughs> and then in 10 years of, of doing process improvement consulting and training, I was able to gain all this corporate experience. And I'll be honest, the problems, the issues, the challenges are all the same. Right. They're not, they're not different. And so I think as, as you know, I moved into entrepreneurship, what it eliminated is bureaucracy and rules. And, you know, I remember one of the first things, one of our very first clients was IMAX. And we were so excited to not have to use the government font and the government colors. But <laughs> I had selected this, you know, super funky kind of handwriting font for a training. I mean, I look back at it now and it looked so cheesy. But <laughs> at the time, I, I thought it was so cool and, and fresh and different. And as we went to project the presentation onto the, the big screen, I know... <laughs> I noticed that the, the font actually had hearts over the eyes. Oh. <laughs> I didn't see it in the small document because it was kind of so small. But as it got projected, I noticed that, you know, and I thought that was kind of this interesting thing about being an entrepreneur is that, you know, you could you could flex all your creativity. But at the end of the day, you still have to adapt and meld to the culture of the organization that you're working with. And luckily, IMAX was... Uh, very graceful in their in their <laughs> comment and they said you know we love everything um, we might just want to address the font because I'm not sure the the hearts above the <laughs> eyes will um, align with our engineers uh, <laughs> engineers learning pathway so yeah <laughs> um, I feel like my career has been so interesting I've had this amazing exposure to so much um, and at the same time all of the key fundamental components are the same. Organizations need strong processes. Organizations need leaders that are self-aware and have leadership skills to effectively lead people. Um, and at the baseline, any and the majority of issues and challenges that you could be experiencing in your workplace or in your organization can likely be filtered down to one of those two problems, you know, also yeah. strategy and mm -hmm. uh, opera, you know, operationalizing things. And, and that's not my expertise, but um, I feel like at, at the base root, you can fix an incredible amount of, of your challenges through simple leadership communications and some basic processes, creating some, some boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, a strategy is no good if nobody can execute and, the, you know, execution is all in the processes, right? And and if you've got uh, poor leadership, then 
you don't have followers that want to execute. So there goes your strategy. What was the point? Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. you know, what I, what I really love, though, about your, your story, Nicole, that I hear through that is your willingness to uh, roll up your sleeves, your willingness to get it done, your willingness to really learn and adapt, like you said, to the environment, to the needs and requirements of each of those situations you were put into. Good for you. That's really inspiring. Okay, so you know what? Now I want to get a little bit into how you're operating day to day with your clients. So can you tell me, like, how do you approach the client engagement? Uh, so, you know, I, I guess I take uh, uh, all of those communication skills and relationship building and project management skills, and you kind of put them all together. So, you know, my first for me, I have a, you know, I have a certification in Myers-Briggs type indicator. So my MBTI type is a feeler. So I'm, I'm very, I start quite often with the relationship, building the mm -hmm. relationship, creating that sameness, um, understanding um, what the drivers are for all the people on the team. So I think I have, you know, I think it's kind of a little bit of my superpower is I can look at the crowd and really assess those facial expressions, really dig into what they're saying and kind of dig a little bit deeper with open-ended questions to find out what are the real challenges and what's the real truth here? Why do you need this training? Why do you feel that your leaders aren't succeeding? What are the competencies that you feel are you know, important for your industry? Those kinds of things. Um, so really building a relationship and doing a really in-depth needs analysis to find the root um, and then really creating an iterative process of a back and forth of, of what we're looking for, you know, kind of, I'm a huge creative, so I sometimes have to rein myself in with all of my <laughs> ideas, yeah. uh, but, um, you know, going in and testing and saying, okay, so what we heard was this, um, here's our initial kind of landscape of what this looks like. Does this meet what you're looking for? Does this address this challenge? Does this meet this need? And, and really kind of lining those up um, and being structured and consistent as possible. So, uh, you know, I have to admit in, in, in our business, my business partner was frequently the, um, the uh, person with the preference for judging, mine's for perceiving. So that means um, a preference for judging is one that follows a very strict, rigid plan. And a preference for perceiving is somewhat of a more creative, around the world approach that ultimately often arrives at the same end goal. So as I'm working with clients now, I'm really exercising my J muscle and making sure um, to keep things, uh, keep my creative side in rain and also kind <laughs> of follow a strict process so that I'm, I'm meeting all those needs. And I think that hyper awareness of personality type um, that you know I have from my MBTI training, I know it's a bit of an old school personality assessment people are using disc or emergenetics and other things right now and mbti is what i know and i can really resonate with mm -hmm. um, so I, i'm very aware of that and 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 trying to make sure that everyone's aligned in what they need to achieve so building a relationship doing a really thorough in-depth needs analysis and then following a process for how we get to the end result um, and then i would say lastly really using measurement techniques that help us identify um, what the results are, what the results, what the ROI on training is, right? A, a constant challenge of L&D professionals is how do we assess the ROI on training 
products. Um, yeah. And so really working on great evaluations, great data collection, great data reporting mm-hmm. to say, how do we know that people have done something, learned something, changed a behavior? And that's probably number one for me. How do we know um, that people have changed their behaviors? You wanted them to ha- be better leaders. How do we know that they've implemented something? And that's been a key component of my training um, is, is that simple is really the best. We don't need complex leadership models. Yes, they, they work for certain situations and they work for certain thinking types um, and learning types and we wanna include them. But at the end of the day, coming out of a session, I want you to have one tactical thing that you're doing differently. Yeah. One thing that you're gonna change, one thing that can impact your people, one thing that can um, drive your organization in a, in a forward motion. Um, and that to me is so important. So you know, as we move through that process and get to actually designing the content and that iterative process be back and forth with the client, making sure that the product is exactly what they need is then, you know, fundamentally backed up by this data that says, you know, here's, here's the behaviors that people changed. And so we've got some amazing tools to do that, um, including, Um, our partners at Aris who do uh, text message learning. So I love using text message learning as a sustainment piece and as a way to collect Mm, data on on how people are changing their behaviors. So that's been a a huge focus, especially in the last little while. Wow. That that's really awesome. Very cool. Hey, that's, um, that's a a lovely approach. I, I really enjoyed hearing about that. Thanks so much for sharing it. Now, one thing I really loved um, about uh, your company was your definition of your values. And um, I, just, I just thought, you know, execute flawlessly, build lasting relationships, have fun, make things simple. You've talked about that for sure. Stay ahead of the curve, surprise and delight, and operate with integrity. And while I loved everything that you've just said in your values, what I really loved was this have fun idea. Why is that important to your clients? And how does that help your clients get results? Well, I think above all, it's super important to me. (laughs) Ah. Um, And that, you know, if my clients don't want to have fun, as they Mm -hmm. work through something, they're probably not the right client for me. Uh, Yes, Um, they're not the best client for whiteboard. You know, we we believe that training should be fun. We believe that there should be a lighthearted approach. And yes, there, there has to be a balance there, but it, it's, a, you know, it, it's part of, you know, it's part of me. It's part of my training style. Uh, you know, I'm not quite sure if I, I should have maybe tried to be a comedian because I think that's what <laughs> I'm ultimately trying to get at, you know, and I, I even call it like when I'm on stage, yeah. right? Because that's how it feels to me. It's, that's how I connect with others is through humor and fun. So, you know, we try and use lighthearted examples. We try and make jokes. We try and um, make light of sometimes um, tricky topics and in a, mm. in a respectful way, of course, yeah. but as a way to say like, we get it. This isn't, you know, it doesn't have to be that serious. Right. And we I can think- do hard things and have fun while we're doing it. Oh, that's perfect. That's exactly it. Because I, I know that there's a lot of times where people like you know don't want to go to training because they don't want to feel like they're in class and that they have to uh have like a formal you know um approach to where they are 
they're going to enjoy it and take in more and learn when they're having fun. That's exactly what's needed. Telling stories, engaging people in a way that makes them feel valued and respected, you know, having a laugh, you know, being vulnerable. I think a big part for me as a trainer is to demonstrate Mm -hmm. the, the theories that I am teaching. So if I'm Mm -hmm. teaching people about how to build rapport, if I'm teaching people about how to be engaging or charismatic, so it's a big deal for me to emulate those so that you can see the effect that it has on you, right? You're experiencing it firsthand. Uh, Um, And again, that doesn't mean that the training isn't serious. It doesn't mean that we don't Mm -hmm. touch on serious things. It doesn't mean that there isn't learning there. It yeah. means that we do that all through the lens of let's, let's have a good time. And cause that's my gosh, they don't call it work for nothing. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if they, if it wasn't work, we'd say, you know, we're going on vacation every single day from nine to five. So <laughs> how do we make something that <laughs> intrinsically is hard, yeah. fun and enjoyable. And I think, you know, those cultures that can create those organizational cultures that can create engagement and have fun, are, are the ones that, that end up surviving. Yeah, I, I think your, your uh, learners probably appreciate that very much, seeing you demonstrate the behaviors and really showing them that the behaviors that you're trying to impart to them um, can be imparted in such a way that it's fun and then they can try it and not, uh, you know, not just go away and say, well, that was training, thanks, I had free sandwiches or whatever. Wow, I love that. So um, my next question is, I, I noticed that you had something called the Whiteboard Women Community. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, I, it was um, something that we started in, gosh, was it late 2019, maybe very, very early 2020? I think it was late 2019. Uh, and really what we wanted to do is, is create a space for women to learn, learn the skills to, to speak with confidence, to mm-hmm. um, respond um, with confidence, to lean in to their positions. And so, you know, we wanted to create a space where women could talk about some of the issues of working in male-dominated fields like, you know, we had uh, great guests like my friend Jamie Johnson, who works for the Belveni, so she works in the whiskey industry, um, mm. and so highly male dominated. How how does she operate and um, thrive in that environment as a woman, and 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 what skills does she need to adequately, um, you know, speak confidently and 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 do what she needs to do to protect herself as a woman in that environment? Um, people in tech. Um, and so we, we started to develop this community in early 2019. And of course, uh, the pandemic kind of threw a wrench in that. So I would mm-hmm. say Whiteboard Women is on a little bit of a hold, mm-hmm. at least for right now. Yeah. Um, but something that I would definitely like to reinvigorate at some point. But at the time, it was really um, a space um, for women to come together and, and talk about about key issues of, of women and, and working and, and how to um, effectively excel. Wow, you know what, I just love that because you know you were talking earlier about community 
And I think that if, you know, even if you've taken a training course, sometimes you'll go back to the office and you're the only one who's really um, being like given that information and you try to use it and you need some support. So having a community of women who could help you with that kind of thing would just make the training even more powerful. So I'm glad you're going to reinvigorate that sometime. Yeah. Wow. And so now, Nicole, I see that we are now in season seven of your podcast, which is really quite the accomplishment. So congratulations on that. Um, do you know what episode are we on? Do you know? Uh, this is so I, I won't know because I'm recording. A, a, I'm recording in bulk. Oh, this week. Okay. so I'll have about right. 10 episodes, but we are this will be season eight. Um, I, we just launched the first episode um, just this past Friday. So just mm -hmm. April April 30th, 30th. Yeah. I think. And yeah. um, so that was with uh, Janice Lau, um, Janice Lau Pearson. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're going to be, you know, putting out an episode every single week, probably over the next 10 weeks or so. We've got some really exciting guests, um, including the folks at Arist, the text messaging platform. Mm -hmm. who, do I, who else do I have? I have a, an amazing... Uh, leadership coach. I've got side, our good friend Sai Charney, mm -hmm. one of my uh, most favorite leadership facilitators. Mm -hmm. I, I've just got a great, great team of people who want to share their knowledge and experience. And I'm so, so excited about it. So um, I don't know where I'm going to put this episode. I, I have to find a find a perfect spot for it. <laughs> well, you know what? Your upcoming guests sound absolutely wonderful. And I know that um, your listeners are going to love tuning in. But I also know that some of your past issues um, have had some really interesting topics. And I'm sure that for them going to the past, they can also glean lots of great information and tips and tools. So yes, um, and, and, and anyone that goes into those past episodes will have the absolute pleasure of listening to my brilliant business partner, Ruth. So we, we hosted all of the, the previous seasons together. And honestly, it was the, the my favorite, uh, favorite kind of to do list item of my week was to record the podcast. We always had so much fun and were mm -hmm. able to have a ton of laughs together. And I believe some of them, there might be a season or two yeah. that are also on YouTube. So oh, um, we, we did that for a little while. So that was certainly a lot of fun. Um, so yes, definitely, definitely go back and have a listen to some of those because they're great. Yeah. What are, yeah. Great resources. And you can listen to them anytime and pick up wherever. Um, okay. So um, do you have any new directions or special things happening? We've talked about, you know, possibly reviving the whiteboard um, women community and, you know, lots of new things are coming down the pipe. Do, anything directions that you want to share with us or can share with us at this time? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I think right now my, my big focus is uh, trying to create learning modalities that are really going to resonate with people this year and moving into the future. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while I don't believe that virtual in-person you know, virtual instructor led training is dead by any means, I believe mm -hmm. there is a place for it and a necessity for it. Um, it's exploring other and unique modalities for learning. So uh, right. some really big ones are again, I can't, I can't hype up 
my friends at Arist enough. Mm-hmm. I think their platform is just wicked easy to use. I think text messaging, you know, when used appropriately yeah. for the right item, whether it's a short, quick burst of training that needs to come out very quickly, whether you're trying to access populations um, mm-hmm. that might not have access to Wi-Fi or computers or laptops to do training yeah. um, or whether it's a reinforcement component. And that's been really where I've used it the most mm-hmm. um, is as a, a training reinforcement. So you do some virtual um, instructor led bits um, and that is supplemented by, you know, some text messages that come before your next session to keep that uh, subject matter top of mind, to keep you reflecting on your own behaviors um, and, and, and practicing using them. Um, so wow. that's, that's a huge one for me. Um, another huge one and, and part of a big reason for me to reinvigorate the podcast this year um, is audio training. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really, and you know, Simone is like the clubhouse queen. You're, <laughs> you have literally like in the matter of two weeks become a clubhouse expert and <laughs> just, you just do everything perfectly. It's what I aspire to be. Oh, um, <laughs> thank you. I fly by the seat of my pants, but your preparation and the way that you coordinate and organize things, it's just, it's top notch. It's, it's perfectly by the, I want to say by the book, but I don't mean that in a bad, I mean that in <laughs> the most, uh, with the most admiration. Thank you. Um, because I'm anti by the book. I, <laughs> like how, what, what's the smallest amount of effort I can put in to, to get what I need. Um, but I, I, I'm really, really focused on audio learning. I think again, speaking to zoom fatigue, speaking to mm-hmm. um, this, you know, when we're on video, are we truly listening? Well, are mm-hmm. we truly absorbing? Well, that's right. And, and this idea of, you know, for months now, you know, and it's because my, my children are home, we have a caregiver that comes into the home. Um, you know, I'm kind of trapped in my basement. <laughs> and I, you know, I say that lovingly, and, and kind of as a tease. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a lot of truth there, because I can't really just go upstairs and, and grab another coffee. I can't go up <laughs> whenever I want, because it often means that I can't come down fast enough if the children don't let me leave or that, you know, they're crying or something happens. And then I'm kind of, you know, I, I have to swap modes really quickly. And so I feel like there are other people feeling like this or the mm-hmm. work culture, the organizational culture that you are in is really keen on, you know, making sure you're behind that desk at all times, Oh, yeah. making sure you're on every video call, making Ugh. sure you're available for every team's chat that pings through, you <sighs> know, and that feeling I find very um, weighty on my chest, yeah. right? Yeah. I already feel trapped in my home, trapped yep. <laughs> in, you know, not being able to see anyone or do anything. Mm-hmm. And now I'm further trapped to a screen. It's just, you know, there's definitely been a notion from um, the organizations that I've been working with and clients that I've been working with that say, like, we want freedom. We want right. something, you know, and, and this idea of not being able to go for a walk or do anything mm-hmm. because you're trapped to your, your desk. I mean, it's something that as as I switched back from some corporate time back to entrepreneurship this year, I really wanted someone to say to me, Nicole, let's take this call and and do it on a walk. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
Nicole, like, can you listen to this podcast or this learning audio bite while you cook dinner with the kids and, and let mm-hmm. me know what you think? Just another way to feel well. Yes. Um, so it's a huge passion of mine to, and I've been working on creating it for a couple of clients now is audio, audio learning. Yeah. So, and, and blending it with a health and wellness strategy. So where the organization and the leadership is not only saying, please do this audio learning, please do this audio learning and take a walk. Yeah. Please do this audio learning and jump on your bike. Please do yeah. this audio learning while you cook dinner. If that gives you. Yes. Yes. You know, do, do something active and that brings you joy. That's not you trapped to your desk again. Uh, exactly. That is such a great insight, Nicole. I, I think you've just tapped into what people really need to understand about this working from home business. Like it, it seems freeing, but like you said it, there's so many traps and not that you don't want to see the kids, but you know, you got to get back to the flow that you just broke up. And the the idea of like just changing what we understand to be the quote unquote norms. Um, I think that's very freeing, as you said. I, I wrote an article on, on LinkedIn that said like kind of reclaim your commute time. Like we used uh-huh. to have an hour to yeah. decompress. We used to have time to listen to a podcast or catch up or do something. And it, it's just gone now. That's it's gone. Right. And we've yeah. just replaced it with more work, right? Now, exactly. you know, instead of logging on at nine, I log on at 8.15 because it only yeah. takes me five minutes to walk downstairs. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. It doesn't take me five minutes to walk downstairs. I don't have some incredible staircase, but you know what I mean? Like it, yes. that yes. whole commute process is, is absent. So we're working longer. So encourage people to go outside, <laughs> encourage people to get on their Peloton or their treadmill or their Stairmaster or their elliptical trainer or sit and stretch on their yeah. carpet in the sunshine or I, I don't know. It, it, I think it's a really plausible way to get some learning done. And so I'm so passionate about it. That's probably my number one, my number one driver right now is, is audio learning. Yeah. It's to, to me, like if, if, you know what, if all, if you've tried everything else, why not try audio? You'll, you might be surprised by it. I mean, Clubhouse was a total surprise. I thought it was going to be some other weird social media. I wanted yes. nothing to do with it. Yeah. Tried it out and was like, holy, this is like the training. light. Bulb. This is like, this is, it's yeah. huge. It's huge. So Simone, I, I want to say thank you so much for this amazing interview. You totally caught me off by surprise when you said, <laughs> you know, I asked Simone to be on the podcast and she said, can I interview you? And I thought, wow, I, I love your um, creativity. I love your boldness. I love, I love it all. It's been such a pleasure having you interview me and I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I still bring you back so that I can interview you um, <laughs> another time. Cause I, I definitely want to hear from you and your insights and maybe we could do something on your experience with clubhouse and, and sure. stuff like that. So I'd definitely love to do that later. Thank you so much for, for this amazing show. I'm so looking forward to putting it all together and, and launching it super soon. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity and I'll see you in Clubhouse. I'll see you in Clubhouse, Simone. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us at At The Whiteboard. We've had an amazing time with you here today. If you want to keep 
up to date with everything that At The Whiteboard Podcast is doing, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Whiteboard Consult or on our website at www.whiteboardconsulting.ca. Talk soon. <laughs>